I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Well, if there's one thing I like, it's food. And if it's another thing I even like better, it's watching food competition shows. So I am so excited to have Adam Pollock here. So many of us remember him from Hell's Kitchen. I think it was the 19th season. Yes. And he most recently has been on the Food Network's Grudge Match. But he also has a restaurant right here in Milwaukee, the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar. And Adam, first of all, it's exciting for me to meet you in person. Well, thank you. It's exciting to be here. I appreciate it. So you were kind of referred to as ZZ Top, I think, by that Gordon was Ramsay. It. That's, a, that's a good one. Considering all the crazy names he gives people on that show, I'll take ZZ Top all day. <laughs> Let's talk first about how did you first get involved in cooking? That goes back a really long time ago. I've always cooked. I'm 75% Sicilian. My mom cooks. Uh, my brother cooks. It's in our family. You know, the funny thing I always tell people is like, even when we're eating, it's like we're talking about what we're going to make for the next meal. It all started at home which is the best place to learn and the best place to get some skills and just kind of get that love and passion for it when you're around it all the time and you have a mom that cooks. Cooking at home and being around food, and then every job I've ever had since the age of 14 has been in a restaurant. So I've been around food. I've been cooking. I've been in restaurants forever. That's what I know. That's what I'm comfortable with. So it's kind of just like a natural thing. I was working at a restaurant called Turner Hall Ballroom when it reopened for the very first time. That's when I started really learning a lot about different cuisines other than the Italian cuisine, which I was comfortable with, and soups and stocks and ordering and all this stuff. At that point, I didn't have a plan. I was the lead line cook and pretty much daytime manager of the restaurant at that point. So I knew that I wasn't going to take another line cook position. So I wasn't going to go learn a whole menu at another restaurant just as a cook. I wanted to learn more stuff, push myself more, try to put myself in all these managers' shoes and be like, I can do that. And I ended up applying for a sous chef position randomly, which sounds kind of scary from going from a line cook to a sous chef, but that's the next step, you know, or a lead line cook or a kitchen manager. And that's what happened from there. But you never went to culinary school. I did not go to culinary school. My older brother, Alex, went, and that was the route he went. And I was just trying to learn things hands-on, be there on my own time, but also get paid. You know, if you're going to pay someone to teach you or they're going to pay you and you're going to learn a lot, I just thought that that was a better route for me. It's nothing against that. At what point did you start to look at television and think, maybe this is something I should be involved in? That didn't come for a long time, honestly. I like to watch competition shows. I always watch Hell's Kitchen, even when we were talking about that first sous chef job. And I was watching Hell's Kitchen when I was off work or something for more so of the entertainment. And later on in the career, it was more so like, I'm experienced enough. I know enough things that I think I could hold up against some of these people that go on these shows where... You need confidence, right? And confidence is the number one thing in a kitchen. That's always one of my main things I tell my training people or my new staff or even people that want to take it to the next level. You got to have confidence in yourself and what you're doing because then you're going to shine and do the best you can. So when I really got that confidence to say, hey, I think I can do these shows, you need that or you're going to do horrible. You know, you can't go on a competition show and look at everyone around and say, oh my God, they are way better than me because it's cooking. It's not personality. It's not how they look. It's not how they're dressed. It's can they cook and what 
what they can do. So that's when it was later in the career. I was like, I think I know enough. I have a lot of knowledge and that's where my confidence goes up. And I think that's what shows in the food and the journey is as I realize more of that, this is my life and this is what I like to do and I'm good at it. That's when I started thinking about that. Was Hell's Kitchen the first show you tried to get on? I would always send an application here or there, you know, to shows. You just go on. It takes a while. It's a big process. What other shows did you uh, <clears throat> Just like, you know, your chopped or Top Chef stuff just for fun, just to see, like, hey, maybe they're going to notice me. The Hell's Kitchen thing came because I was a huge fan. And one of the contestants, Therese Gregoire, was on two seasons of Hell's Kitchen. And I actually had her here in Milwaukee back in 2013 or so. She came and cooked with me and did a dinner, and we got really close, and that was fun. And that's when she was even like, you should be on Hell's Kitchen. I've done it. You'd be great for that. You'd have a ton of fun. I know that you watch it in a fan and everything. She was part of pushing me to do that and maybe help me out. Say like, hey, this is someone that really wants to do this. This is someone that can actually cook. They're confident in competition cooking. I still went through the huge process. It wasn't like a, hey, thanks for the application. You're in. You're going to Vegas. There's two months of stuff to do before. What do you do? So you're sending in a lot of pictures, videos, content of your food, a lot of Zoom calls with different producers and casting people to just get your personality and get your raw emotion and asking you really crazy questions. How you would do in situations like I remember, like if someone was telling you that you suck at cooking and they were up in your face, how would you react? They want to see what you would do, but then... What did you do? For that, it was like, I'm a very chill person and just say something along the lines like, let's just let the food do the talking. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations... We turned around and he was standing there like, wow, that's him. I think they even show my face when I turn around and it's just like all smiles. You never know if in the first two minutes of meeting him, he could have had us cooking or something. Adam Pollock from Egg and Flour Pasta Bar meets Chef Gordon Ramsay. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Adam Pollock, the owner of Egg and Flour Pasta Bar, who also just happens to be a reality TV star. When you get that call, Adam, you made it. Come to Vegas. Do they tell you to prepare? How do you show up there? What do they tell you to bring with you? I remember the night, it was like a Thursday night, I was with my buddy that watched all the house kitchens with me, and we're just hanging out, and I see the call, it's like from California, obviously, and I go, this could be it. And they told me on speakerphone, super, super excited, and they tell you, how do you feel, they ask you, and they're like, all right, well, we'll send you an email. Then you have an email of like, seriously, like a dictionary worth of contract, different things that they want to get you ready for, what to bring, what you can't bring, what you can wear. They always have a warning, like, we're going through your bag at the hotel before you're even on the show, so don't try to bring all this stuff or whatever. Like, just stick to it. It's a lot of plain clothes. You didn't need a lot because you're staying there. And the cool thing about that is, like, every morning we wake up, our closet would be filled with a brand-new chef jacket with our name, a white T-shirt, black pants, a pair of socks, and black shoes. You don't really need too much. They want you to pack some clothes when you're doing, like, your rewards and stuff. So when you're leaving the house kitchen to do that kind of stuff. And from there, it's just reading up on what you're going to get into. They don't prep you, really. They don't tell you what you're going to do. Everything like that is more day-to-day, but just going through everything and realizing about prizes and rules and terms of getting out, but nothing like, hey, we're going to get you mentally ready for this because you can't. I watched the show and I watched your season and I enjoyed it very much, but 
Are you actually in one building where the Hell's Kitchen restaurant and kitchen are? And do you live there? I mean, what's the yep. setup? It's right next to Bally's Hotel. Just a big carnival tent from the outside or like a warehouse. Very large. You know, we're not talking about just a small space. And the only thing you can see is in the front of it is like a big Hell's Kitchen sign, the HK with the flames and all that. There's a driveway. But other than that, you can't really tell what it is. It's actually gated in, armed guard, all this stuff. When you're in there, it looks like walking into the restaurant. When you leave the restaurant in the hallways, there's different places that you could and could not go. And then you go down the back hallway and they always have some sort of a set like the living quarters, right? There's a big open kitchen. It's kind of like a huge apartment penthouse style. And then there's two rooms. One has nine twin beds for the guys, nine twin beds and another room for the girls. The funniest was the shared bathroom. There was one bathroom for all of you? Well, it was like a open bathroom where there's like a big sink that had four sinks and the big mirror. So you could brush your teeth, do all that stuff, do your hair, makeup if they want to do that. And then they actually had two stalls and four showers that just had a little draw plastic curtain for everyone. So the first couple days or weeks when you have everyone there before people start getting eliminated, it's a little hectic. Is it uncomfortable for some people? You might be surprised or you might not of how dirty a bathroom can get with 18 people using it throughout the day every single day. First time you met Chef Ramsay, explain that experience and what it was like for you personally. Sure. So on the show, if you remember, they had everyone come to his actual restaurant in Las Vegas, and we were all standing there. We turned around, and he was standing there. So that was technically like the very first time I saw him. Like, wow, that's him. And just seeing him and the excitement and just like the energy that he brings is like, I think they even show my face when I turn around, and it's just like all smiles because it's like we're here. It's real now. Nothing feels real until you turn around and he's there on set. You never know with him. In the first two minutes of meeting him, he could have had us cooking or something. He went over the prize money, what Hell's Kitchen's all about, and it's just super exciting because then you're in it. You know, there's no turning back. I mean, you can obviously just quit. No one wants to do that, but you're there. The cameras are on. The microphones are on. I'm not going to leave until I'm the winner of this thing. You really felt you could win? Oh, definitely. I don't think anyone should go on a show. If they don't believe that they could win, don't go do it. Did you like everybody who was on that season? Uh, Absolutely not. That's an easy question. <laughs> I mean, how, how soon did you know, you know oh, you're like, not my kind of person? Yeah, I mean, it can happen pretty quick. You know, people can say something or do something that really rubs you the wrong way, and these are random strangers. The show isn't meet your next 17 best friends. You know, you're in a cooking competition, and you got to be a team player, and you got to get along with people, but that never works. Do the producers try to create drama behind the scenes? Of will course. They say th- something for me is, like, not horrible. They're not forcing you to say anything. So I will say, nothing is scripted on that show. What I say is no script script heavily edited at any moment in time a producer Gordon Ramsay can come in and eliminate you or they can do this so they can switch teams they need all the power when you're putting on a big production like that they can't have anything go wrong do you get paid to be there you get a stipend so they just want to take care of you for like your bills and stuff while you're gone especially if you make it really far I don't know if it was the same for everyone I was gone for about a month a little bit more it's like They have the money to make sure that your bills are paid if you're going to give up your entire real life, you know. But you're not like a paid actor. But there is a real prize, which is what? Usually it's a year working for Chef Ramsay? It's actually like a job. You know, you can go on all these crazy weird sites or look up articles of people that have taken it, haven't taken it. Oh, just because they get it, that doesn't mean they take it? Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people will not get it or they'll just like get offered something else or they make a deal at the end. That's what I was kind of saying is they can change anything.
I think someone was in the past took half of it, but didn't took the job, but they gave him half the, the prize money. Some people have taken it and still work with him, like Chef Christina on the red team. She won season 10 and she's been with him and her career is just amazing now, you know. How but, big is that kitchen? Because it doesn't look like it's a huge workspace. It's not massive, but I would say 1,500 square feet because you got to remember there's two kitchens. They're absolutely identical. They're mirrored kitchens on each side, but beautiful, you know, like the setup, how it should be, you know, it does. But when things are going really well, they go really well because of the setup. He's done this a lot and he knows what he's doing. And that kitchen's probably set up like some of his kitchens in his restaurants in real life. It was not a set kitchen that gave you problems. There was problems. Just like every day, equipment malfunction or things need to be turned on or someone forgot to turn something on or whatever it is. But for the most part, super efficient. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. These people aren't helping me at all. We're helping each other so we can get to the end as a team. That's way different than, oh, I really want you to win. Chef Adam Pollock from the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar talks about sabotage behind the scenes on reality TV. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Adam Pollock. You know him as the chef owner of Egg and Flour Pasta Bar, but he's also a reality TV star. Was there sabotage among the contestants ever? Yeah, I mean, that's something that's like part of it that you always got to think of when you're going into is like, these people aren't helping me at all. We're helping each other so we can get to the end as a team. That's way different than... Oh, I really want you to win. <laughs> you don't get to throw fast ones past Gordon Ramsay. The people that have done it on episodes or different seasons or whatever, they always get caught and it's never a good idea. So I went into it like, I'm not going to go on someone's station, like take their salt. You have seen in past seasons or something where maybe someone says, Oh, that's ready. Take it up there, but it's really not or something, but not full extent, like taking someone's food that they're cooking, just like throw in the garbage or something. When he gets angry with people, were you under the impression he was really upset? The thing with it is you're serving customers, real people. Those aren't actors either. When you have these celebrities come in, they're coming in for dinner, right? So they want to eat. They want to leave full. They don't want to be waiting and not have any food. So he's treating that restaurant as one of his own. Hell's Kitchen with cameras, essentially, and a bunch of employees that are on a TV show. And do they, they take have to orders. pay for their dinners? Um, I don't believe so, no. So how do you get to be a diner? I honestly don't know that. I know in Vegas is a little different. They were like going out and getting people, you know, like just walking the streets, like everything in Vegas, like, hey, come and do this. He treats it as a real restaurant, real service. At the end of the day, he's the one putting the stamp of approval on it if it's going out to the dining room when he says, all right, let's go, whatever. So yeah, when he's mad, he's mad. But at the same time, you're all professionals. You wouldn't be on that show to begin with unless you had you would some like to credentials. Think and, yes. <laughs> but, but how do they end up with all that raw food? You got to think about it like there's a bunch of people watching a Super Bowl party or a Packers game or something, right? And the quarterback throws the ball and it was a bad pass and everyone goes, that guy sucks. Well, he doesn't suck, right? He's in the NFL and he's playing in the NFL and he's probably the top 500 football players in the world, right? So things happen. They always say too many cooks in the kitchen for other things that really don't even pertain to cooking. But in that instance... Too many people that want to be the boss all fighting. Are you literally isolated from the rest of the world? Oh, yeah, definitely. Unless you're like going out to do stuff, you're winning like a challenger sign. But yeah, you're in that set. You don't have a phone. You don't have your wallet. Like you're just kind of a pawn. In the- and there's no television. <laughs> 
nope, let's say there's a television and we're watching a sporting game and then we're talking about a game. Oh, I'm glad that they won or signed. You're talking in the present tense and they don't want that because they know that the show is going to be aired at another time. So they only want you talking about things that's going on with the show, with the contestants, because even when we were doing things in other places or winning or challenges or punishments, they just want you talking about that only. You bring up the punishments. Yes. Are they as horrible as it appears on television? A hundred percent. That's the one thing I can say that's like not a lot of editing or they didn't have to do much to look like it was a miserable time. My worst one was the cupcake one baking. That was like a 12 or 13 hour day into the night of making 600 cupcakes from scratch with a bunch of guys that really didn't do baking or know what was going on. And you got all these people that want to be the boss and have the best idea to get to the finish line. It's like, we just got to get that done. But that was a really long one. That was a really, really painful one for sure. Now, what about the rewards though? Is everybody really as excited as they seem when they get that? Yeah. I mean, the I will say from my personal experience is the reward itself is leaving Hell's Kitchen. I didn't care if we were going to watch paint dry. I'd be fine with it. As long as I wasn't in Hell's Kitchen on that set, getting some fresh air, getting to see other people in the world and eating some other food. That was the main prize. When you have a one-on-one Chef Ramsey, whether he's yelling at you or giving you a compliment, how significant is that to you? Nothing else really matters. Everything kind of turns into a blur and you're just focused on what he's doing. I think I got yelled at two times in the whole time that I was there. And it was really cool. A lot of people don't know this is I had a one-on-one with him in the back like pantry area after a really good dinner service that we had that was never shown. Unfortunately, it would because then I could have had that forever, but I have it myself. Would have been nice for people to see that. You know, it was just a conversation of like, keep doing what you're doing. We know you don't have the European, French, Italian resume that you worked in all these Michelin star restaurants and stuff, but he was pretty much saying like, that doesn't matter. Keep pushing. The resumes don't matter. It's all about the passion, the work ethic, the hard work, the concentration, respect level in the kitchen. He even kind of cracked a little bit and even said something along the lines of some of these people here aren't in it for the right reasons. Just keep doing what you're doing. So now you know that was my one-on-one moment. But a lot of good compliments. And if you watch all the challenges and fun things, I did a lot of really great food and a lot of good scores and won a challenge for us. I can leave Hell's Kitchen even when I got a I didn't care. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. I call them the overseers. There's definitely producers and higher people that are in the clouds making decisions. Chef Adam Pollock talks about who decides who gets eliminated on Hell's Kitchen and why. listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Chef Adam Pollock. He's the owner of the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar right here in Milwaukee, and he also is a reality TV star. Why did you get eliminated? Honestly, at that point, I was just not exhausted of the cooking and the show, but just of the people and the drama. And it's just like, all right, here we go. And I remember I was a little tired that night and they put me on garnish station and our whole team was just not doing well as a whole. We had a pretty bad service, but it wasn't like most of the people in the eliminations on that show where it's like after the dinner service, they're like, 
oh, I'm going home for sure. Or I, there's a chance. I just kind of went back to the dorm. We started talking about it and like slowly through that conversation that they barely showed was a lot of everyone defending themselves. And then it came down to me and Mark. And I think my teammates made it, oh, if we put Adam against Mark, Mark has been up like three times. Adam hasn't. Adam's night tonight was not that bad. There were some hiccups. His night was horrible. Let's put him up. In my head, I was like, there's no way Gordon's going to send me home over this guy after all the stuff we've been through with this. And we get up there. We say our piece. We say what we want to say. And when he called my name, it was more shock because when he called my name, I thought it was going to be the classic Gordon Ramsay, like get back in line instead of give me your jacket. Then he would pull Mark up and that just never happened. And I remember that very vividly. <laughs> so who makes that decision? Is it Gordon Ramsay or is you know, it productions? Know. I don't know. There's huge production. I call them the overseers, right? So, I mean, there's Gordon Ramsay. Yes. And I, I'm sure he makes the final decision. There's definitely producers and higher people that are in the clouds making decisions. And I wasn't very drama filled and maybe they wanted the more arguments and they want the drama and the mark guy if you watch the season they remember him more than me because of how crazy and problematic he was so in retrospect are you under the impression that the overseers had a game plan from the start as to these are the people that we want to go all the way Reality TV is anything but reality. <laughs> they probably have a game plan or one of those big boards in their big room with all of our faces with the X's going through it with what they want to do. And they know what viewers want. And that's why they're so successful at what they do. But I don't know. You know, everyone fits. They always have about the same kind of cast every season. When you were eliminated... Is there any kind of counseling that you're offered after that? Well, yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what happens? Because I mean, some people would take back. it harder than others. I oh, it, yeah, it's kind of crazy. And some people want to do more. They want to be drama filled. So kind of what happened was you get eliminated. You go through those doors where they show you the dramatic push the doors, and then you're just in a set. And there's people having their lunch break. You're back to reality at that point, right? Like, and then you hear because the walls of the set are just woodboard, and you're listening to him saying like, "All right, we better be better tomorrow," and they're in their world that I knew seconds ago. And then you have people come up to like, oh, hey, Adam, how's it going? We're so sad. We didn't see that coming, all that stuff. Do you need anything? I was like, yeah, I just want to smoke a cigarette real quick, you know? And then it kind of sucks because it hits you. It's like, there's no going back. You don't get to go back on set. That world is done. I didn't win. And right away, they put you outside with a camera, with your exit interview, like, oh, what did you think? And you're doing that. And then they're like, are you sure? Is there anything else you want to say or whatever? Say something to Gordon or whatever. There's like a psychiatrist in a van sitting there in the back of the van with the little headlight coming down. And he's like, are you okay? The funny part is a lot of people don't know this either. So I'll give you some some fun information that no one knows. Throughout the show, as it was going and you're getting closer to people, you want to know what people are doing outside and what they do. And towards the end, I was talking about even if I don't win, that I'm opening my restaurant when I get back. So I had the plans of egg and flour happening while I was out there. And talking about that and what I was going to do. And I think that that had a huge part that they knew maybe he doesn't care or maybe he's not going to take this job if he wins or he has something else going on in life. They want people that are like die hard to the Hell's Kitchen want to win. I would have never opened Egg and Flour if I would have won. I go into the van with the guy and he's like, are you okay? And I go, dude, I know people have sat in here for three hours with you. I was like, I just want to like get going. I'm good. I'm opening a restaurant when I get back. I'm super excited. I was excited about being on the show, the opportunity. Let's just go. He's like, okay, there you go. Signed off. And that was it. Now, when you get back, obviously that show is not going to air for a long time. How difficult is it to keep everything to yourself? Yeah, I mean, everyone that I wanted to know 
knew that I was out there. You don't go away for a month quietly. Because you're not supposed to tell anybody? Well, you can't. No, it's a $500,000 NDA. Anyone that I wanted to know, I would give them a guest NDA so that they would have to do one as well. A spouse or a parent. You know, yeah, your close family, whatever. I had to tell my business partners. I had to tell the owner of the food hall because I was delayed. I was supposed to open, actually, and then I found out I was going, so I was delayed. So I said, hey, I can't open now. Oh, why? Well, here you go. Coming back, I'll never forget. I go back to the hotel where they have, like, their holding. I get my phone back after a month, and you'll never believe I'd like to test anyone in 22. 23 today to turn your phone off for a month and turn it on and see what happens. <laughs> it's not meant for that to happen. Those devices are not meant for that to be. So went to the hotel, plugged my phone in, turned it on, and I would say maybe about four or five hours of straight notifications coming in. And I wasn't trying to keep up because there's no keeping up. My phone was practically smoking at that point. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. We finally get that email and it's like, hey, this is the date. Here's your pictures. Here's your promo stuff. Let her rip. Adam Pollock from the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar talks about keeping a secret and what happens if he tells anybody. What if you could build? You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back to our conversation with Adam Pollock, the owner of the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar. When you get back, how long was it from the time you left Hell's Kitchen to when it actually aired? I think the normal is about eight or nine months, but then COVID happened. So we're getting ready. We're getting excited and they're editing it. And obviously we're waiting for it to come. And then this COVID thing happens. And then you start getting emails that say like, we are not airing this show right now. We will keep you updated. And this is coming from one of those, you know, again, overseers. And it's like, we will let you know, but this is not the current date anymore. And then a year and eight months go by. I've already been at Egg and Flour had my restaurant open for over a year not saying anything just doing the restaurant having fun have my first business whatever just having this and then we get bayview going and then COVID hits and then all through summer not saying anything and then we finally get that email and it's like hey this is the date here's your pictures here's your promo stuff let her rip almost two years I had to wait. Which had to be so difficult. Oh, it's the worst. I had the restaurant. There was COVID. I had the second restaurant that was shut down. I couldn't do anything with it. So just kind of like navigating through that whole world. I'm not really thinking about it. The only time I thought about it was when my mom was like, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? And now she knows. Now that we've done some more, it's like, I will let you know. The one thing I'm good at is letting people know when I'm doing something. How did the restaurant change from the time you had opened it? And, you know, you were a known chef in the area till when all of a sudden you are a TV personality. Was it crazy? It got pretty crazy. The cool thing with us is that Bayview was then already reopened from the COVID disaster that we started playing our viewing parties. So we had viewing parties for that, but just crazy. People coming in from all over that have never even heard of Egg and Flour, never even heard of me, but wanted to come in and check it out and meet me. And like, there'd be people from young kids to elderly wanting to take pictures and doing that and asking if I'm there and Facebook messages and random messages and a lot of people from my grade school and my high school. It was pretty wild to make that first announcement was about a month and a half before the show even came out. So even that buildup was wild. 
before the show even started. But then when the show started, then it gets even crazier because there's something to watch and something to look forward to. And obviously, COVID was still a thing. There wasn't much to do. So it was something a lot of people say, thank you for making my COVID experience not so bad, which is kind of cool that they were looking forward to watching that every Thursday and having something to connect to and go and get pasta or something and watch the show was fun for a lot of people. But this is an A-list celebrity style. So I could walk around the market hall we're in and 99% of the people in here have no idea who I am. It's not like that. But people that care about that or foodies or people in the restaurant world, they knew and they follow or like I said, people that might have already followed me on social media or something. It's not like I get stopped everywhere. Since you left Hell's Kitchen and I assume you were there for the finale and you saw Chef Ramsay then, has he been in contact with you at all? No, so that doesn't really happen. I have contact often with Chef Christina, the sous chef and Jason. The one really cool thing about that a lot of people don't know is she reached out to me and said, hey, I just want to let you know there's always a few people that Chef wants to keep up to date with and know what's going on and he knows all about your cool stuff. This was after we opened Bayview so he's like he knows you have restaurants now and like you're doing well and you get to do all this stuff so I keep him updated of what's going on so that felt good but no direct contact. You did that. (laughs) Did you think your TV life was over? I wasn't really sure. My story is kind of weird because like, I feel like I did really well, but didn't win it or didn't even get to the final. But a lot of people that watched it, it's hard to tell someone that's never saw like, oh, what place you got? Oh, well, I got eight out of 18. Like that doesn't sound the greatest, but there's no context to it. You know, so the people that have seen it know, but I was like, hey, I would love to go back and do something. You know, I wasn't ready to start filling out more applications and stuff for more shows, but I was like, I would love to go back and do that. I would love to try it chopped or guys grocery games all these different shows they're just endless and i was like i think i want to do this but not right away then all of a sudden grudge match came along yeah super chef grudge match so how did that occur did you go looking for it or did they come looking for you so that one i can't say a ton of stuff about just because it was so recent and the hell's kitchen stuff that's what it's done is done you know i could throw them under the bus right now i would never do that but i could tell you some really bad things it's just not very great living conditions in there it's just not as glorious as you would think it would be with the super chef grudge match still in contract with them how did it come about though with me and declan horgan you know who was one to, of the competitors one of the, like, he was the competitor he against was the me. irish guy yep big irish guy from the Hell's Kitchen show that we talked about. And they wanted, for that, they want chefs that might have a friendly grudge, that want to cook against each other 1v1, straight up one dish of food, no drama, no extra stuff. And it happened to be myself and Declan. And it turned out pretty well for you. Yeah, it was really good for me. Spoiler alert here, did win that show. And how did that feel, to win after everything that happened before. Oh, it's amazing. So if you don't know, like Declan, the guy went up against, he took third on the Hell's Kitchen. So it was really nice that I beat someone that went farther than me in a past competition to kind of be like, hey, stick it to the man. Like, I'm proving myself. I made a very technical dish within 30 minutes with no planning, no pre-plan. This is no script. I didn't know what I was doing before I got on the set two minutes before they rang the bell. So being able to prove that and show that and cook something really good and it wasn't a by default. It wasn't like, oh, the other guy didn't even put something on the plate you know we both cooked and put food up and i ended up winning that coming up on wtmj conversations i learned and studied and watched the classic pbs cooking shows and i think that those need to find their way back into the foodie chef market chef adam pollock from the egg and flour pasta bar tells us if he ever plans to be on tv again Deliciousness from scratch. That's the packing house. We've left no stone unturned and we've spared no expense. 
to make your outdoor dining experience at the Packing House one to remember. Our patio is now open, and it is beautiful. Of course, the full menu is available, and we have invested in a state-of-the-art retractable roof, sound system, the absolute best heaters money can buy, a wonderful five-foot gas fireplace, and an amazing waterfall, all to make your outdoor dining a pleasure. You know we're situated right next to the airport, and I've always loved seeing the planes flying in and out. And on a warm summer evening, it's really a nice added outdoor benefit. I'm Chris Wyken, inviting you to enjoy an outdoor dining experience you'll be sure to remember on our patio at the Packing House, a Heritage Milwaukee Supper Club destination across from the airport on Lady. Deliciousness from scratch. That's the Packing House. Reservations are always recommended. WTMJ's Vince Vetrano here. You know, I've played sports my entire life, been hurt a lot of times, but never had been injured until I had to stop doing the sports I enjoyed because my knee flat wouldn't allow it. I visited Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin, where they took great care of me. I put my knee in their doctor's capable hands, and now I'm back in the gym, carrying my golf bag pain-free for 18 holes, and playing tennis as often as I like with no issue. I'd recommend Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin to anyone. Visit orthowisconsin.com. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Grandview Homes will buy your home as is today. It doesn't matter what condition it's in. We'll give you a fair cash offer in 48 hours, and you have nothing to lose to try us out. With Grandview, you don't need to fix your home to sell it. Call or visit GrandviewHomes.com. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Adam Pollock from the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar. You've mentioned, like, Chopped and, what, Guy's Grocery Yeah, there's so many. You know, Beat Bobby Flay and all that stuff. And all of that. And... So you've won now. Yep. Is that bug there? That oh, yeah, you're thinking, of course. I got to do this again. There. I got to yeah. do this again. Of course. So you're yes. actively looking? There's always fun things happening. I can't say anything, but there's always something oh, else coming. Well, let, let me ask you this. Do you think that we will see you on television again? At some point in, the, in my life, yes, 100%. Is one of the goals to someday maybe have your own cooking show? I think it would be cool to go back to cooking shows instead of these 30-second TikTok or Instagram videos. You know, I mean, I know people want to see what it is, see real quick how to do it, and get inspired. You know, I feel like a lot of that is more about inspiring someone or giving them a good idea or they can like vibe off of that work off of what they see real quick but i learned and studied and watched the classics pbs cooking shows and i think that those need to find their way back into the foodie chef market because that's where you learn how to cook that's where you learn why are you doing it like this the lydia and ming sai and julia and jacques papin and all these old school emerald videos that are just funny, but really learning a lot of skills and techniques. And that's where I learned a lot of my stuff too. Not just clocking in every day. You got to study and do research just like anything. Started out saying that Chef Ramsey used to call you ZZ Top. Yep. You have a very distinctive look. You got the long beard and everything. Yep. Do you think you would have been selected and cast 
had you not had a distinctive look? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure like it sounds bad, but I'm sure it helped. But there's also people on these shows that you watch where you're like, what is their distinctive? Like everyone's different. You see yourself every day and you're like, oh, there's nothing special. But maybe to someone else's eye, I think probably helped. But also, like I said, in that process, if they just took got a picture of me and then put me on the show, then sure, I would put it on that. But so much other things that go into it in their deciding factor that at least I know it's not like they just picked me because I had a beard. One last question. Sure. What are you doing in the future? I mean, are you going to open more restaurants? Sure. You, you kind of hinted there might be more TV. There might be, yeah. Well, well, ten years from now, where are you going to be? Well, ten years, I can get a lot done. I'll be 33 May 23rd. So... From when I was 23 years old until now, a lot has happened, right? So it's kind of up in the air because opportunities come all the time. But now it's focusing on Eigenflower Bayview, focusing on that location, focusing on my private stuff. So I do in-home dinners. I can be hired for corporate events, special experiences. I go to people's houses probably four to six times a month and cook in their house for different parties, celebratory things, whatever. So that's a really big thing I've been doing. And then partnerships with different companies, whether they're lifestyle or or promotional or products or something like that. Getting into that world, get the name out, but also do something other than just punching the clock every day and doing just egg and flour. The reason for even closing the Tosa one is I was like, with three locations, it's all egg and flour all the time. So I wanted to kind of step back from that and be able to do other things and do fun things because I'm not just a fast casual chef that came up with this concept, you know, or I'm not someone that is not a chef and made a concept that works out. My background is the fine dining and cooking other foods. So being able to do that, focusing on that, I mean, I'm doing stuff with a marketing company called Omnivore. So I do food content for the Instagram and stuff like that with home recipes. You can find that on my Instagram and watch those all the time. New partnership with Nun Bush, the shoe company, which will be announced later on this year because they have a non-slip work chef shoe. I think that comes in more of the lifestyle and work stuff. Doing stuff with Summerfest, Festa Italiana, different charity work. You know, I do a lot of that stuff as well. So there's like four big main charities that I work to raise them money. So that keeps me busy and being able to give more time to that and more time to my friends and family and sometimes a night to to just sit on my couch and watch is, Hell's Kitchen, huh? And watch the new Hell's <laughs> Kitchen, sure, or the new cooking shows, or all these shows that everyone talks about all the time. But I don't have time to watch. I'm excited to be more in the normal, putting quotes up, normal lifestyle than what I'm used to, and that's just like what I'm focusing on. One day, I would love to have maybe a 20, 30 seat fine dining restaurant where I can go back into that world. But right now, just doing what I'm doing and being more of that. Just I'm saying yes to a lot of different things and trying out new opportunities and not just doing egg and flour all the time, which has been really nice. Adam Pollock. Obviously, at 33, there's a lot in your future. I appreciate that. Yeah, the three-year thing might be a little bit more easier to answer than 10 years. Like I said, 23 to 33 has seemed like a lifetime in itself. So hopefully by the time I'm 43, we can sit here and have another conversation of what has transpired over the time. We've been talking with Chef Adam Pollock. You may have seen him on Hell's Kitchen or maybe on the Food Network's Grudge Match. But he also has a restaurant right here in Milwaukee called the Egg and Flour Pasta Bar. We talked about whether or not he's ever going to do TV again. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear our entire conversation with Chef Adam, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with your friends and family. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.